Today's episode of the Ed Curation Podcast is sponsored by Vivencity. Vivencity provides a powerful social-emotional learning platform for middle and high school students to help them cope with life's challenges, which I think we can all agree are plentiful and intense right now. Students love the experiential I'm Sparked curriculum that uses short, engaging, and actionable mini-lessons to deliver social-emotional learning and life skills flexibly, integrating into any schedule or content area. Students learn through self-reflection and introspection. Principals and teachers appreciate real-time dashboards that give them a pulse of their school and help them make informed decisions. I'm Sparked improve students' ability to regulate their emotions, make good decisions, and build meaningful relationships, which in turn builds their academic readiness. Vivencity's I'm Spark platform is endorsed by the Tarika Foundation and the Yale Center for Emotional Intelligence. They received the Gratitude Network Fellowship and were selected as a top 10 innovative product for K-12 by Start Ed. Find Vivencity at edcuration.com. You're listening to the Ed Curation Podcast. We bring you stories from educational leaders about the instructional resources, practices, and movements that are reshaping learning. It's a little bit of social work, a little bit of science, and a little bit of passion. The most valuable resource is also their time. It just can't be wasted on fluff. But we have to be able to continuously poll our students and just give them voice. We have to pick texts that are totally going to push their thinking. everyone. This is your host, Christy Hemingway, and social-emotional learning is on everyone's mind. If it wasn't one of your school or district's top priorities prior to the past year, it certainly is now. And that's why today we have reached out to Kim Price, who is the manager of social-emotional academic learning at Denver Public Schools. Throughout her career, Kim has had an unwavering commitment to supporting the whole child. Kim has been part of Team DPS for over 15 years as a classroom teacher, an instructional coach, English language learner, instructional specialist, adjunct professor, and assistant principal of John M.S. Elementary School. While on the culture, equity, and leadership team, Kim worked in partnership with the Character Lab to develop DPS personal success factors, a strengths-based focus on learning. We feel privileged that she took the time to speak with us today. Welcome to the podcast, Kim. Hi, thanks, Christy. So happy to be here. Yeah. So tell us a little bit about your background in education and what led you to your current role, Kim. Great. Thanks. Yeah. I started out as a camp counselor and always had a real passion for positive youth development and supporting young people. And so through that, I went on the track to become a teacher and I taught for many years and I was a coach and a district supervisor, an assistant principal, all in Denver Public Schools, and really recognized through that journey that we were missing the mark a little bit on what we were doing for kids and how we were supporting kids. And I read a book by Paul Tuff, How Children Succeed, where he really dug into the social-emotional side of learning, the soft skills, as some people call them, emotional intelligence, and really connected with it and was drawn to that work and was able to 
pursue a path in Denver Public Schools that explored that work and strengthened that work along our community. Say more about what you experienced when you felt like we were missing the mark in some way or that something was missing. What were you observing that made you say that? So I worked at a school, a hard to start school with a high percentage of free and reduced lunch and very diverse population. And I was a leader of the school. And when we would meet with our principal supervisors and district initiatives and just really everything that was coming out was around standards-based instruction, rigorous tasks, high expectations, all of those pieces. And I felt like we weren't supporting kids' approach to that learning. So we were losing a lot of kids with behavior challenges, with lack of engagement, with a sense not feeling like they belonged because it was bell-to-bell instruction. So as soon as they got there, we needed to be doing something rigorous and you know diving right into the, the curriculum. And I just felt like we weren't getting to know our students and we weren't building relationships with our students. And we had, in a sense, lost the love of teaching. And many of our teachers had felt the same way. And so when we when we read that book and we went on this journey, we slowed down and we it took time to have morning meetings and restorative justice circles and focused on relationships and really looked at each individual student to ensure that they had a trusting adult in the building. And through that work, we simultaneously were able to grow our academic achievement, our growth and our status scores. And so it was really eye-opening that we were, we were doing the right work. Although at that time, it felt like we had to hide it. We had to secretly meet the emotional needs of our students. And I would say, you know, that's probably about 10 years ago. The pendulum has definitely shifted and welcomed that a lot more. And when you talk to people, they light up. Teachers are like, yay, I get to bring back the joy of teaching. I get to tell my kids I love them. All of those pieces that we had shifted a little bit away from with our fidelity to the standards. And it was when the Common Core standards had come out and we've shifted a little bit. And now there's social emotional standards and being having a sense of belonging is starting to be measured and, and all of those pieces. And so it isn't an either or situation. It's, it's really a matter of both. It's not a balance. It's a blend of social emotional supports and academic supports. Well, it's really interesting that you say that along with this implementation that your academic scores also rose because I think a lot of, and and the fact that you had to hide what you were doing is the impression that we don't have time. We don't have time to deal with those things. We have to cover and we have to focus on academics and we have to go right for rigor and that somehow it's one or the other. And that what you found was that by bringing in social emotion social emotional learning that your academics rose. So I want to talk more about that later, but something else that you talked about was the shift. And I'm curious about the shift. Obviously, there's a huge focus right now on social emotional learning because of the trauma of this past year, the pandemic, the race riots, the need has certainly been amplified. But this shift started before that. And I'm curious What initiated the shift and the creation of the CASEL standards? When we think about social-emotional learning, it's a long-term impact. And I think part of the shift was initiated by districts like Ohio is well-known and sort of being on the forefront of district-wide social-emotional implementation. We don't necessarily see those shifts in six months or eight months from fall to spring. 
it's more of a long-term impact. And so once the data, as we know, we like to read the data as educators and we like to see the numbers. Once we started to see information from districts and, and teachers who had been teaching this blend of social emotional learning and focusing on and allowing time for social emotional learning, we started to see impact. And there started to be studies that I think it was 11% gains, which is huge for students who are most at risk, you know, to be reading at 11% gains. But it had taken from, I think they had started in fifth grade. And once these kids graduated, they saw this huge trend that those kids not only went to school, but they stayed in school. Students were were proving their success and their long-term success. And so I think once we had the data, people started to pay more attention because it was put into terms that, you know, we, we care about the numbers. And so I think people were starting to rethink about the importance of social emotional learning and started to allow time in the mornings or during lunch, recess meetings to and recognize that when they spent that those critical minutes getting to know kids, repairing relationships, having conversations, it actually allotted for more instructional time. And so by taking instructional time out and focusing on the social and emotional needs of our students, we created relationships where we could push students, right? They could go through that productive struggle, like Zaretta Hammond talks about, those zone of proximal development faster and almost harder because they had trust. They, we taught them coping strategies. We taught them self-talk. We taught them how to take a break. We taught them to recognize how to approach the learning. And so the students started to accelerate or continued to accelerate until people really started to pay attention. And through that time, Castle had started the Collaborative District Initiative where they had started supporting districts with what would it look like to have a district-wide approach? Because we know that's more of the adaptive change, right? We know schools can do it, classrooms can do it, but what would it look like for districts to do it? And then further down the road, what would it look like for states to do it? And now it's what would we look like as a nation if we prioritize social emotional learning? And so Castle is very much a learning organization and really worked alongside these initial districts to see what would it take to be a social emotional district and have continued down that road and through the creation of the standards right now through the support of social emotional learning as a lever for equity and really putting equity at the forefront of social emotional learning and recognizing they go hand in hand. And cultural responsive education is social emotional learning. It's multilinguistic learning. It is, it's English language learning. It's all of those pieces. And so I think there's a movement now. And we all know when there's a movement, it's a lot easier to join a movement than to be the first one starting the movement. It's got to also be partly the result of what you were saying about teachers feeling like they had lost some of the humanity and the connection around teaching and that we're just, as teachers, we want that relationship with our students, which is not satisfied to teach that way. I remember when I was going through teacher training and we were told that we weren't allowed to hug our students, that if our, and I was teaching elementary school at that point, I later moved to secondary, but that if our students hugged us, that we were just supposed to put our arms out. Yes, I remember that as well. That was never never a rule that that I was very fond of. I always kind of went for the one arm hug and it was like, okay. I mean, I I would just like to confess publicly, I never did that. Yeah. I I cannot do that. I will. You never hug someone that hugged you, right? That's just not intuitive. That was the worst. And we were actually taught that. 
So you talked about our love of data, and there's this premise that you can't improve what you can't measure. And Mm -hmm. so with social emotional learning and all this focus on, on school climate, I'm just wondering what you do in Denver Public Schools to measure social emotional well, and, and you call it social-emotional academic learning, so I want to hear more about that in a minute, but what do you do to measure that in DPS, and how are you measuring school climate? That's such a good question. In the field, there's a lot of varying opinions on measuring social-emotional learning. I like to remind people that social-emotional learning is so uniquely personal and situational. It's a big question in the field of how do we measure it, should we measure it, and what does growth look like? A lot of times. I've learned through the work of Angela Duckworth, the more you start to deepen your understanding of what self-awareness is, what decision-making looks like, what relationship skills are, the harder you are on yourself. And so what you thought you might have been really good at, as you deepen your understanding, you're like, actually, I I wasn't very good at that. So those self-perception measurements, in a sense, would go down, even though you were growing with your thinking and expanding your thinking. And so it's a really hard thing to measure. In Denver Public Schools, we definitely like to measure everything, as we should. I think it's important to inform the direction that we go, to use the feedback to make sure that there aren't gaps, all of those pieces. So we like to think there's a couple different ways that we've measured social-emotional learning. There's the perception surveys where you ask people to reflect. And we, through the pandemic and through the, the social unrest and all that, We've recognized adults are as important as our students. We need to know how our adults are feeling, what's happening with them. And so we have surveys for our, both our adults and our students. So when so, you say adults, you're talking about staff or families? Staff. Another thing that we do is we created a walkthrough tool because a lot of our leaders and folks were like, well, what does this look like? How do we know what's happening? We all know when you walk into a building that is social and emotional and culturally responsive, you feel it, right? It's palpable. The energy, the welcoming atmosphere, it's much more beyond the colors of the walls, but you know, the walls tend to have student art and you just, you know it. The, the secretary, the staff in the office, they smile. People are smiling in the halls. Doors are being held open. It's palpable, but how do you measure that, right? Like what, how do you put that into a number? So we created a walkthrough tool, a non-evaluative walkthrough tool to get a sense of what it looks like and feels like to be a social and emotional environment where students can thrive. So looking at teacher behaviors, how students react to those behaviors, looking at the environment, looking at interactions, looking at all spaces. We know that learning happens in all spaces. So the playground, the cafeteria, specials, all of those pieces, hallways, and looking at painting a whole picture. So it was climate and culture, explicit instruction, and integration, academic integration. So how are we integrating the social emotional skills that we're learning into our academic, our core content areas? And then we would really present the data for all of those pieces for schools to reflect on and say, how does this align with your current work? What are areas that you've been focused on in your UIP? Because you can't focus on everything, we know. And so we would let invite schools to reflect and they would focus on, they would hone in on an area that worked for them and create some next steps. Another piece that was really important that I think people tend to forget about is when we think about social emotional learning, the real 
sort of why behind social emotional learning is so that we can empower our students to be agents of their own learning, right? So that they have agency, they understand their identity, that they have voice, choice, leadership opportunities. And that's an area in the walkthrough tool that always showed up for people around the opportunity to develop youth leadership. So beyond classroom jobs, like transactional jobs, like pencil sharpener, line leader, things like that, to more transformative youth leadership opportunities around what do you guys think about this? What do you all think about this objective? Is this something that is worth digging into today? Or is there another book we should read instead of To Kill a Mockingbird? So really getting youth input because we know when students are bought into their learning, you've got them, right? They're engaged. They're interested. It's applicable and it's co-created and, and that's students feel valued and they're going to come to school every day if they know that they have a voice in their learning. Oh, youth leadership is, is, is possible even in kindergarten. Many yeah. people are like, oh no, our kindergartners can't do that. I've seen more youth leadership in kindergarten classes than fifth grade. It's amazing. And you see these kids and you're like, these are the, they're going to be successful learners. We'll get right back to Kim, but while you're thinking about integrated, flexible, and engaging SEL, it's a great moment to hear from today's sponsor. Vivencity is proud to sponsor this episode of the Ed Curation Podcast. Vivencity's I'm Sparked program is the SEL solution that students want and schools need. Students are excited to use I'm Sparked. They find our quick and engaging activities helpful and empowering. In fact, 70 to 90% say they want I'm Sparked in their schools. Teachers acknowledge the positive change in their students and value the short, flexible lessons that are easy to facilitate. Principals appreciate making informed decisions with the real-time dashboards that give them the pulse of their school. Contact us today and let us empower your students for summer and fall. You can find Vivencity at edcuration.com. Contact them using the Connect to Vendor button on their page to learn more. And now back to our episode. So you specifically at Denver Public Schools have included academics in your thinking around social emotional learning so much so that you use the acronym SEAL, S-E-A-L. Talk about why you've done that and what led to that decision. Yeah, that was a very intentional decision. As we had the opportunity to work with the Wallace Foundation and be a part of the Paselli Grant, so the Partnership for Social Emotional Learning Initiative, with six other communities across the country, we wanted to leverage the opportunity to, in a sense, rebrand, really rethink about social emotional learning because it is academic learning. There's a book by Nancy Fry that says all learning is social and emotional and Doug Fisher. And it's so true. All learning is social and emotional. And so we wanted to add the academic letter. I mean, we love our acronyms in DPS. So there's always that, Christy. I mean, if we can make a new acronym. All educators, right? (laughs) Yeah. Mark of our trade. Yeah. So we could just confuse people with a new acronym, then we are on it. But (laughs) we really wanted to rethink the universal approach to social, emotional, academic learning and move beyond behavior management strategies and things like that and really make that connection to academics. When you're looking at 
what you're actually doing in, in your classrooms across the district. Do you have one curriculum or a set of curriculums that you've purchased? Have you created them? I mean, where, where are teachers getting the framework and the stuff that they're using to create these skills? That's a great question. There's a, so much out there. There's, everyone is doing social emotional learning these days, which is so great. And so in my mind, I've always been curriculum agnostic in that, you know, it doesn't matter what you do, do it school-wide, do it with intention and stick to it. So whether you're going to call it empathy or joy, whether you're going to align to your values or whether you're going to align to your systems and structure, PBIS or restorative approaches or whatever it's going to be, stick to that common language and teach those skills explicitly. And so, so we've been on the journey to try to select a curriculum that would meet the needs, the diverse needs of all of our learners in Denver and look at a K-12 curriculum. Again, very few curriculums go up into, the, into high school. They're very different elementary, middle school, and high school. We have such an incredible focus on equity in our district that we know that we're going to have to massage a curriculum and, and just make sure that the language isn't harmful, that we are inclusive, that the videos look like our students, all of those pieces to yeah. make sure that it's diverse in ability in orientation and in race. And so it's very important to us. And I would just really say that curriculum is one piece of the puzzle. The curriculum is, is not the silver bullet. It never will be. It's one piece. We know that it won't be successful if the culture and climate isn't warm and welcoming and focused on relationships. We know it won't be successful in isolation. Stop writing. We're going to do SEL right now. Okay, stop yeah. SEL. We're going to do math. That's not how it's going to work. And it needs to be done in partnership with our families, with our communities, with each other. It needs to be skills that adults develop. Teachers don't go through social emotional learning in college. They're teaching things they've never been taught to teach before. Right. And in a schooling environment that was very different than probably when they went to school. For sure. So there's a lot of development of adult skills. Well, I'm curious about that because. It wasn't the way that we, that I learned and it wasn't the way I was taught to teach. And I'm wondering if SEL is something that really can be scheduled in order to be effective. Doesn't it have to be sort of integrated into everything all day long? As you were saying, it has to be a reflection of the whole climate. So what does SEL or SEAL instruction actually look like? So I think it's a, it's a both and really. Similar to language instruction, I think we learned this with the ELD block. Initially, we had 20 minutes of isolation of English, direct English instruction, and then we realized that that's not going to work. It needs to be incorporated into every content area. All day. So the exact same thing with, with social-emotional learning. We work on content language objectives that are dual purpose. So we need to teach explicitly our students what empathy means, what what reflection on your own identity looks like, what perspective taking looks like, how to listen, how to read the room, all of those pieces. We need to explicitly teach that and we need to incorporate that into our learning. So when you have a content objective of, you know, we're going to learn fractions today and we're going to think about multiple approaches to those fractions by asking our partner, how did you do it? 
you know, and so it's sort of the how to all of those content lessons. How are you going to approach that learning? And that's a lot. We have a lot on our teachers, right? They've got content objective, they have a language objective, and now we're suggesting a social emotional learning objective or group approach or a social skills objective. And it's a lot. But when you have those planned out very intentionally and thoughtfully, you're going to have a successful lesson. And so backing up to the, the time piece, we recommend right now this year is the first time in Denver that we've said 20 minutes a day to spend on social emotional learning. And the teachers have loved it. They're thriving. I would say definitely our elementary schools. I think it's harder for some of our content teachers in, in high school mm-hmm. to, to think about what that time looks like. The essence of an elementary school teacher is just more social and emotional, I would say. Not in all cases, obviously, but yeah, so it's 20 minutes a day and then incorporated throughout each lesson with reflection opportunities. How did you feel when you were successful? What was it like to get that answer right or wrong? Or what would be another approach? Simple little shifts or additions to student reflection and objectives is a, is a great way to integrate. How do we reinterpret what we learned as classroom management? And really managing the behaviors of specifically disruptive kids, kids who are struggling. How does that look different in light of this focus on social emotional learning? And mm-hmm. how does it change that? You know, that's, that's a great question. I think the perfect scenario to that and the perfect answer to that is when kids are engaged, when the content is meaningful, when there's a purpose to their learning, when it's real life you don't have those behavior issues, but we know it's not a perfect world. And we know every kid, everyone has their off days and their off moments and and things happen. So I think it's really around those restorative practices, those relationships, recognizing your own feelings, the teacher and the student, recognizing the trauma that all of our students have been through, that we've been through as as a country. We each have our unique lived experiences that make us who we are. And so maybe, you know, creating some space for that behavior. What do we all need to do to support the student, not just the teacher? So it's really a big, huge mind shift on what behavior looks like, understanding the function of the behavior, so why that behavior is happening, and then really rethinking about the situation, which is so much easier said than done and easy to sit here in our Zoom meeting and speak to. Not as easy when you know, some, a student is emotionally triggered in a classroom yeah. and, and behaviors are a symptom of something that's, that's happening. Yeah. When you think about best practices, can you describe kind of an ideal, like in a perfect world, this is what would be happening in a classroom where best practices are being used? Yeah. Something that we've pushed ourselves to think about is having a growth mindset. And so we like to say promising practices so that Mm. it's sort of growing and there isn't one answer to something that this is the best way. So we've we've tried to switch our language to promising practices. What are those repeatable practices that have been successful before that we would like to try again? One of the things that has been the easiest for us to implement has been the three signature practices. I'm not sure if you're familiar with these. Castle has put these out. There's some research and literature on them. And it is a warm welcome or a welcoming ritual opportunity to engage in an optimistic closure. So that's the easiest short answer to making lessons social and emotional is how do we start 
together? How do we get all voices into the space? How do we share the objective? How do we get feedback on the objective? Whether it's, you know, how's everyone feeling on a scale of one to 10? Or let's all draw for a minute. That can look, you know, you can be as, you can put your toe in the water or you can dive all into those welcoming rituals and warm welcomes, we call them. And then opportunities to engage. How do we get our kids talking? How do we get them chewing on the content, like Zaretta Hammond says? How do we get them using the manipulatives, you know, engaging with in the learning? And then the optimistic closure is really about what piece of this learning are you going to take with you? And how are you going to look forward given what you've just learned and experienced? And so that's a great way to start social emotional learning. I'm wondering, and this is kind of a side note, but not really, because I know that one of the things that has increased our focus and work around social emotional learning is our concern over the mental health of our students in light of the increased number of of school shootings Mm. over the past years. And it's a really difficult balance, I think, to think about social emotional learning and safety because things like shooter drills and safety officers and metal detectors, they don't create a welcoming environment and they don't give students a sense of safety. They give them a sense of danger, even though they're there to create safety. It kind of works against social emotional learning. How do we balance those two things? I think that's a great question. And I said this earlier, but it's not maybe around balance, but blend right? How do we blend those, those two together? And I think I saw on the news, maybe last night or the night before that there was a school safety officer that just got a dog. The dog was going to be a part of the school safety officer. And I thought that that's exactly it, right? How do we, how do we shift our school safety officers to, to have those relationships? To, yeah, to, to a friendly really, presence. Absolutely. Right? Yes. How do we, how do we talk about the need for metal detectors, that we don't just put them up and never talk, to, talk about it or refer to them. How do we open up the conversation to our students? How do we process it together? So many times our educators are forced to go teach the next morning after something traumatic has happened when they're, they too are still processing. Yeah. And we expect them to have the best response. And many times they have no response because they themselves don't know how to respond. There's no right or wrong way. I think it's just about opening up the conversation and saying that feelings are okay. We have to process those things together and we have to to allow space for every emotion to be felt. Let's create the space. Let's take a moment in our day to think about, to reflect, to draw, to create, to feel uncomfortable together, to get mad, all of those things because all of those feelings are okay. So I'm just wondering if there's somebody, if, if there's a listener and they're working in a district that has really done nothing to date to address SEL or SEAL, who, is, who does not have resources or tools necessarily, but where would they start? I would say build on those pockets of success, build on relationships. Uh, we all have relationships with each other, with students. Um, create more space for that and, and reflect on what's working. Who do we want our students to be? We want them to be thinkers. We want them to be advocates. We want them to be agents of their learning. And that's all social and emotional learning. And so how they do that and really reflecting on what that looks like is where schools can start and districts can start. 
And any um, teacher can create this absolutely. In the classroom regardless absolutely. Of, of what's happening outside their door. Absolutely. Saying hi to and making eye contact to every single kid that comes into the classroom, every single kid that's on your Zoom meeting, say their name, right? Recognize them, have them be seen. Name your mistakes. So that was a terrible conversation. I just let us all down. Or I feel very awkward right now as we're talking about race or whatever that might be. Recognize it, speak to it, be real, be who you are, and show your kids that you're not perfect. Reflect on your own mistakes. Kids will say the best things that their teachers have shared with them have been their own journeys of learning or a time when that teacher was bullied or when that teacher felt uncomfortable in a classroom or they didn't have the right outfit to wear. When we all become very real with each other and and take off our masks, both figuratively and literally, and let who we are shine, that's all social and emotional learning. We have a lot of an increasing number of SEL resources at Ed Curation all the time. There's so many new ones coming out, and a lot of those or a lot of those companies are eager to pilot and get data. And so teachers have an opportunity to kind of test drive for for free. <laughs> a lot of a lot of those resources. Yeah, you guys have an amazing resource. You all have an amazing resource of resources. I was been on the website and the videos and. You have basically all the all the big names, all the little names, and that's a great that's a well, great place to get started. Well, thank you so much, Kim, for taking the time to talk to us today. I learned so much from this conversation, and it made me feel really hopeful about what's going on in classrooms and the support that our kids are getting. It's making me feel a little less worried for them. <laughs> great. I, I love this work. I love talking about this work. It reconnects me with my passion. I know all of those that are listening have the the same passion or a similar passion. I know you're likely resonating with Kim's passion to make the world a more human, kind, and safe place for our students and ourselves. You can find Kim and links to all of the resources mentioned in the episode notes. You can find this and all of our episodes on our website and pretty much everywhere podcasts are found. And you can find today's sponsor, Vivincity, at edcuration.com. Vivincity is a unique and powerful resource targeting the social-emotional health of tweens and teens. Shreya Kulkarni, a 10th grader at Walnut School, said, I've learned how to stay calm under pressure and relieve stress, especially during nerve-wracking situations like exams. I've learned the importance of supporting others when they aren't feeling at their mental best and that SEL and life skills training is really important. I've also learned that just me is a great person to be and that my flaws don't define me, end quote. Shreya is not alone. After just six weeks of using I'm Sparked, 47% of students reported being more aware of their thoughts and feelings. 35% were able to make better decisions. 33% reported being better at managing my time and energy. Vivincity incorporates full Castle curriculum integrated with Google Classroom and Canvas, along with a web app. And it's available 24-7. You can find them at edcuration.com, and while you're there, set up your free dashboard to collect favorites and keep notes. Check out other resources and our many professional learning opportunities. And join us again next week for another conversation about reshaping learning on the Ed Curation Podcast.